Hey guys, welcome back to the Odyssey podcast. We just finished up episode 11 with our guest, Falmiki Maharaj. He's the creative director of the Tribe Group, director of Lost Tribe. Creative director of <laughs> Ultimate Events, creative director of Lavoe. In this episode, we talked a lot about Carnival and the Carnival experience, the design process, the creative process. You know, and um, I think that I did get a better appreciation for Carnival and what it is mm-hmm. and the work that goes into it. I mean, us as mass creators and um, spectators, we just see it. We just see the end product. We don't really see what goes into the entire madness that is Carnival. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's good to get a, that perspective of it, the commercial side and the kind of high-level oversight that somebody like Val has. And, you know, um, for y'all who may want to go into the carnival industry, for the designers, the, the logistics people, people who may service the carnival industry, this might be a good insight into it for you. And I think that you can learn a lot from it. Mm. Yeah, talking to Val, that he really gave me a different perspective on how to look at Mars from a different angle. And just talking to him, he's a very creative, interesting fellow to talk to. He works hard. So we talk a lot about his work ethic and stuff. And I wasn't planning on playing Mars next year, but after that podcast, you'll see me on your road. And with that said, we'll jump straight into it. Hope you enjoy. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in on another episode of the Odyssey Podcast. This is episode number 11. 10. 11? 11 or 10? 11. Sure. 11. You're having 11. such a great time. You're not even <laughs> yeah. comfortable. <with> that. <laughs> Anyways, that's a big milestone. And um, I just want to say thanks so much for the support. If you appreciate the content that we're putting out, like, subscribe, share, follow us on all the platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and all well, YouTube, and then we're now on apple podcast and spotify and thing so we did the intro already all you know all you know who we sitting with the man the myth the legend <laughs> the mass man am i watching this thing and talking to them i'm you talking could, to you no no no. well there's a conversation oh, between right, us but if you, you want if you want to tell them anything directly you could talk to them and look look at them in the eyes yeah. periodically yeah. i'll punctuate <laughs> yeah. anyways so val you want to know my description for you boy afraid go <laughs> The Indian Peter Minshew. <laughs> it was it's both both um hilarious and humbling. That's big. That's, that's, that's a big humble and a big pressure. Now, honestly, Arel, Arel, look up to you. Mm. As soon as I discovered you, and just keeping track of your Instagram and think, because we've been in talks for a little while about the podcast, I just and your work ethic too. So, like the way you are, it's well deserved, right? Because anytime, only anytime I met, look into message Val. He online on WhatsApp and I know he working. And when I'm watching this man Instagram stories, I literally get dizzy. He always he always doing something. <laughs> Me <and> myself. <laughs> dizzy constantly. <laughs> but anyways, um this is the Odyssey podcast, so we know we had a start of your journey. So let's take it back to secondary school. Tell us a little bit about your experience there. All the way back. Yeah. Tell us about that era and anything we need to know that kind of helped shape you, kind of helped get you to where you are today. I don't know. Okay. High school is what? So I went to QRC mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I love everything about it. You know, like anything in high school, you have 
your ups and your downs, your everything, you're figuring out life, everything about it. I mean, in every way, that, that means everything that anybody interprets that. I mean, but it was great. And I look back on that era of my life, like my teenage years, you know, with a lot of affection. You know, I feel like it was a time that I discovered a lot of things, not only about myself, but my country too. So uh, like something I talk, talk to my friends about all the time is up to form five, I had no intentions of living in Trinidad. Um, I used to really? go to visit my family in Canada all the time. And Canada was home to me. You know, it was like when I was much younger, I spent some time there every year for, um, what do you call it? Uh, well, in them days, you used to call it July, August vacation. Now they call it Java. But, uh, you know, when you, when you have your, your, your time off, you go, you spend time with my cousins or whatever. And I had applied to schools and everything and said, okay, I like identified schools, sorry to say, this is where I want to go. So... I had all intentions of leaving after form five exams. And my mom said, why don't you try the sixth form? Do it for two years. What it will hurt, you know, mm-hmm. spend time just enjoying it. And I don't know if she knew something that I didn't know, but during that time, I fell in love with Trinidad in a real big way. Mm-hmm. I always parallel it to starting to lime like an adult without having to spend the adult money. Because, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I just like, I don't know, I discovered things about the island and things about us that... I, I, I didn't know before, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that it wasn't there. I just didn't know it, you know, and then going to QRC, you grew up in the backyard of Hearts, where Hearts was on Alcazar Street. And so I would spend a lot of time in the mass camp. Now, given all of this time, I had no intention of ever becoming anything in Carnival because Carnival wasn't an occupation. It wasn't a, oh, I want to be a mass man. Mm-hmm. At that time in my mind, I had other like academic mm-hmm. intentions. Um, but yeah, like the exposure of that, that's where I started playing mass. I started going out and there's no other way to say it than, you know, I, I fell in love with Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you said you had other intentions. So what, like, what were your interests back then? What did you see for your, your future? So it was always fashion. So I applied to a number of different schools, um, inclusive of ones in Toronto. This was now... Uh, during sixth form and got in came to my mom and said okay i want to be a fashion designer this is where i want to be whatever and she was like absolutely not um i said yeah, yeah i read i already had a little argument with her the back little oh my god <laughs> terrible <laughs> chaos i'm back in all the house but she you know i look back on it now and recognize a couple of things like when you're a parent i'm not a parent but i have friends who are at the stage of their having kids and you hope and dream nothing but success for your child. And you also dream survival. And in years to come after that, I realized, you know, she came from a generation that she couldn't understand creative arts as a job. Like, how do you make money from that? Yeah. To the point that when we first started having the conversation, because she supported me as an artist my entire life, like she would be the one to buy all the drawing books and say, yes, go and take six form um. CXC art and six form art and whatever like that. But when it got to the point that she was like, wait now, this child really want to do this? <laughs> thought this was a hobby, but she's like saying, well, that's exactly what she said. She said, I'm not paying for you to go away and do no hobby. I have two options, which is either med or law, and you're going to do one of them. But I um my mother's child and I'm very determined. <laughs> and just because she wanted me to do that, that's exactly what I was not going to, to do. And we ended up finding a mid-settling ground in business school. And I went to SBCS with the intentions of leaving now to go to London. Okay. And I said, okay, University of London, we start in Trinidad, we do two years here, I get, you know, it out of my system, go to London. And in the back of my mind, 
I go into art school. Watch and see. Afterwards, I'll find a way I'm going to go to art school. And again, we were in university and I fell in love with Trinidad in a different way. And I realized at that point, I don't want to live anywhere else. I want to live here. I want to open a business here. Big question mark. What are you going to do here? I don't know. I had no clue. I had no idea. And at some point in time, I don't have the actual genesis for this to be honest but i picked up my a-level art portfolio i figured i wanted to do something and i started walking around from mass camp to mass camp i didn't know anybody you know i i'm this uh, you know chubby brown skin boy from barataria i come from the hinduist household of all hindus <laughs> that ever hindued and my parents were nothing about carnival but i say nah i want to be involved in carnival in a different way and so with the support of some friends i started making um what do you call it uh, appointments you know to go and meet people one of those was tribe and it's very early days and i walked into tribe saying hey this is my portfolio i want to design things and uh, over the next coming couple of years like my time of finishing university i maintained a relationship with them um in terms of like this is happening with me what's happening with you how can i be involved in different things you know and not only in the carnival sector but also in fashion and Trinidad too like i was involved and had the real honor of really meeting meeting some amazing people like peter elias calvin french bali who really took me under their wing and again no intention of carnival being val as a mass man at all it was just like i suppose this fella he nice he you know he helped me do things he maybe he's so annoying that i'll be like okay let me make sure he does something you know he's determined to be there i have no idea but um yeah and it turned it came to a point where i remember distinctly i was in my last year of school and Dean messaged, I missed the call, and he said, hey, Monique, want two costume design, come meet any mass camp, and the rest is history from there. Every single year, um, from that point forward, I distinctly, I, re- I, I can recall looking back at what I did at a for, for a particular year, like uh, roles, responsibilities, whatever, and I see growth every single year from that mm-hmm. moving forward. I can't say, okay, you have moved from this to that to the next, but you know, I see whatever was put in or whatever was experienced contributing to what came afterwards. So, so it wasn't a matter of you like aiming for any specific like end goal. It was just like a natural progression of you do this, you learn, you move on. And just you wanting to be involved created um, the opportunity for you to grow through. Right. Oh my God, you, you said it so better than me too, because it was just the, just the opportunity to create. Mm-hmm. So by this point, imagine, you know, I'm a young creative, whatever that may mean. I go into business school. I love business school, but I'm doing internships that show me this is exactly what I don't want to do. I can't work in fashion because Trinidad have no real fashion industry. So I'm helping out and trying to find a way inside there. I want to play mass. So I decide, well, hey, let me go and try to design a little costume. I party in my life away every single day, struggling to go to class the next day. But all of that together somehow resulted in yo i just got into create you know like i go to school very happy because after school i'm running to the mass camp mm-hmm. like i had this friend um he passed away now his name is wayne sanka right so he used to live on alberto street but not lost tribe side the other side and he was just such a fantastic person and he actually used to produce costumes he was a tailor for tribe brian mcfarlane etc and one year he called me and he said um well boy just come and work with me now um, I said, well, we're doing what I can't saw anything. And he was like, well, we have to put fiberglass rods 
into skirts. <laughs> and every day I will go to class and then I will come up in song and I'll meet him and we will do that. And then if we have, have a fetany night, we go to fetany night and then we get up the next day and go to class. And I don't know, there was just something really unplanned, but very organic about it. And it's been a long time since I've spoken about this. So, so many thoughts I'm thinking of now, so many emotions. But, uh, you know, when I heard that he had passed, because many years passed, I really thought about him and I said, boy, if he did not, uh, you know, assist me in the way that he did at that time, I probably wouldn't have been able to experience the parts of Carnival that really make me understand it in the way that I do now. That's amazing. It's a blessing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. As a man believe in blessings and countenance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think um, not going to university for fashion design? Because, yeah, do you think it was kind of like beneficial for you? And what I mean by that is, well, I don't know how it is in the creative space, but I find with the school system, they kind of teach you one way and they kind of tell you, this is right and this is wrong. And I feel like that in your creative journey might have kind of strayed you from your original, you know, creative mind and thing. So there are pros and cons to everything. For me, I really think, like what I just said before, that, you know, life takes you where, where you have to reach your region. Yeah. 100% believe it. I never intended to go to business school. I went there out of pure spite. I said, no, I'm not doing what you are doing, but I have no choice, but I really should go to school. So let me do this instead, you know? And the, one of the biggest issues I see with many creative designers right now is that many of them, and I say so with my experience of working with designers every single day, find it very difficult to make that connection between the dream and the product, mm. you know? So a dream the dress, the dress is in existence, what comes in between, you know? And I think business school allowed me the opportunity to break it down. You know, it allowed me the opportunity to see the steps or maybe, sorry, it allowed me to learn the steps that would be needed to take it from dream to reality, from concept to creation. You know, mm -hmm. if I went to business, if I went to fashion school, I do think that positively there would have been a lot of things that I would have learned, but I do think that I would have been in a space that would have taken me away from that. And maybe I would not have been able to, you know, effectively move things from concept to creation as I'm able to do right now or I've seen, you know, possible in my career. Um, on the flip side as well, Carnival is, it's a first mover's paradise or maze, depending on how you look at it. You know, it's a place of pure innovation. There's nothing else anywhere like it. You could compare Carnival as an industry to many different things, to fashion, to entertainment, to festivals, to anything. And it isn't specifically one of them is a combination of all yeah, of them. So nothing exists. Cool. Yeah. And where I landed, you know, in tribe, it was a place that was, you know, let me mashed up and build it back. Like that was our, and it still is up to this day. Like it going good. Okay. 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 Let me do it over. You know, how, how we could make it better. How can we make the experience better? And I got there at the, I don't want to say the beginning, beginning, but it was the beginning, beginning of the big innovations. You know, I got there before we started Bliss. I got there before there was Ultimate Events. I got there at the time and I was able to grow in that and be a part of that process. And so the learning on the trade was something that I feel to me right now really helps me a lot. Um, and sometimes when I have the experience with a younger designer where I'm explaining something to them, but then I have to kind of stop and check myself because I'm missing steps because I have internalized it, but it's not something that they would pick up on unless we sit down and talk about it. Like it's a big, you know, kind of full circle moment for me. Yeah. That's really cool. I lost myself. I didn't even advance your question. <laughs> no, you did. You no, did, yeah. you did. 
But so, um, yeah, yeah. So you think that um that opportunity to help build those those like sections of tribe is what really pushed you forward because obviously that's where you learn the most because that's when you're making all more mistakes and you 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 you're basically swimming any deeper and you don't know where things might go and things things like that. For sure, and you know, like uh, being able to sit and learn with masters. Like when I found tribe, um, I felt like I found fertile ground. I felt like I found family. As I mentioned, my family did not, until a large extent, even to this day, does not understand carnival. It just Cheers. nothing. Yeah, like not, not, it's not, not, not anything no. against it, but it's just like it's not their world, so they don't understand it in the way that I understand it. I interact with people on a day-to-day basis, not only like family members, like other people who still believe, oh, so um, yes, Gab is in January, you know? <laughs> or January, February is two months, he has worked for the year. Or, oh, all he has for carnival is fetting, boy, that's a real nice job, boy, that's like a wish. <laughs> um, but you know, the ability to be able to learn under people like, uh, people and people who are also my friends, who have become my, I mean, my family, you know, like sure. Dean to be able to sit down in meetings and strategize and understand and analyze the masquerade experience before I think anybody else was doing it. Um, Monique, his wife, who, I mean, little things like sitting down and I will design a costume and bring it to the mask camp as a child, thinking this, ma- this costume is like the greatest thing in the whole world. And then she, I mean, with the, the utmost grace, she's sort of <laughs> such a lady. Yeah, like she, you know, she would say, well, you know, well, well. correct, exactly that, you know. <laughs> and then eventually, if I do it again, then I, which which is a line I use now, she's like, would you put this on your body and go on your own on Carnival Tuesday? No, you won't. And it comes on to that, like, will you buy it, you know? I make it, I put it there, let it sit for two days, come back in your room and watch it. Will I buy it, yeah. you know? And... I don't know. It was. It, it, it's been a. And then I. I, did, I only spoke about the carnival part of it. But you know, as a community and a space, as a village, what tribe was then and what tribe is now, it incorporates so many different aspects to entertainment and lifestyle. So, for example, Auntie Gail, um, Gail Cabral, mm-hmm. she would do all the decor for the company at that point in time, and I was obsessed with anything that was to create. Right. So while I make a costume during the day. I finish the costume and then Gail is like, oh, well, we are decorating for Tribe Ignite or for this or for One Fet, like um, when One Fet started. And I was just absolutely mesmerized by this. You know, I had no concept of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, salary per hour or what this is or payments or whatever. I was like, yeah, you know, we, we have this joke in Tribe talking about um, the skirting of the table. Like if you work in tribe, you have skirted a table in your life. You know how to use a glue gun. You know how to use a staple gun. Whether you work in the warehouse or you work in accounts, this is something that you have done, you know. Mm-hmm. You have packed a box in your life, you know. So that kind of idea of being a part of all the different parts of the machine, mm-hmm. you know, is something that really, really, I mean, I can't put a, I can't put a, a description, a value or anything on it because I don't feel if I went to the school that I would have, you know, learned that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Literally from designer to the creative head mm-hmm. of the company, basically. And you have to manage people, kind of share ideas, get people on the same page as you and understand their ideas too and kind of implement it all. What, what did young Val, who did young Val have to become and what did he have to learn throughout mm-hmm. that process? Hmm, that deep question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, you see, I... 
I've always been a very social person and somebody who is very empathic and recognizes the emotions of those around me. You know, I don't like to make people feel bad about either their product or themselves. Mm-hmm. And that empathy, um, I think, if I am to think about it, might be something that helped me relate to or speak to different people. You know, like mm-hmm. when, you, when, you work in, when you work in a creative space, and particularly when you work in carnival, particularly when you work in tribe, <laughs> you work with alpha personalities. You know, like this is not, you have a Regina George and then five other people in the room just kind of following what she says. This is you have 10 Regina Georges at a table battling it to the end. And that decision might be what color the chair box supposed to be. Like it is every <laughs> single thing. But it is such a interesting it's such an interesting process to see and to really learn from because it's survival of the fittest. If you survive, you know you're gonna do good moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't put I can't put a exacting point as to what took me from point A to point B, but I would say that it is part of the overall entire experience. You know, mm-hmm. this word creative director is something that, as far as I remember, it started with me in the carnival. You know, like now you have many creative directors of companies and whatever, but back in the day. You only knew mass man and band leader. Mm-hmm. And both of those terms are terms that I revere. And based on the setting, like when I'm introduced, if somebody says mass man, or they, says, they say band leader, I feel like it's so, it's such an honor because mm-hmm. I met the industry with that in it now. So I feel right. like I, it's heritage. It's almost like somebody take the crown and put it on my head. Hey, 10 years ago, you talked to me. I didn't know I was no band leader. <laughs> well, maybe not 10, like oh, 15. Whatever. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I didn't know, because I, I, I had no intentions. It was never intended to be that way. Yeah. Um, and in terms of creative director, um, it really was Dean who came up with that suggestion. And he was like, well, okay, you don't want to be called band leader. Because I told him in the beginning, when we had the lost up conversation, he's like, well, um, you know, band leader's a good thing. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. I feel like if I ain't reached there yet, you know, I want, you know. He said, well, okay, well, on the form, you know, he's the band leader. I say, well, yes. <laughs> he said, well, if you want. And he suggested um, executive. What is it? Executive creative director. And he said, okay, you will direct, you will this, you will that, whatever. But, you know, it really is a term that um, it blends into others because it isn't, you can't be a, a director of a company. You can't be a band leader of a company and only relate to certain aspects of it. So it's not only right. the creative side, you know. The creative mm. side is inflexibly linked to the experience of the masquerader, which is inflexibly linked to the road experience, which is right. to the price, to the everything. So I could sit on a design from now until the cows come home. If the masquerader can't afford it, uh, what, yes. how will we end up, point, you know? Yeah. So. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also to talk along to that, because you do seem like a, very, a person who's very into that whole carnival culture at that mm. time, but. In the process of getting into the business of carnival, you kind of have to not fully separate, but change your perspective on it to a more high-level perspective, like a commercial perspective. Because the way that a masquerade views carnival is not the same way you view carnival. So how did that affect you, that process of changing over to that? Um, you know, it starts from when you first start to work in the business. I think no matter what it impacts your point of view. It impacts the way that you view the carnival from the jump. So let me illustrate through an example. So I start working in carnival. I start working in events. I'm there to set up the event. When the event starts, 
I go to a bed and change and pick up my friends and come back in the party. When I come back in the party, my friends are drinking, I drinking next to them, but I watching the sign twist and I watching mm-hmm. the DJ reach late and I watching mm-hmm. what going on by the door and I'm on my phone constantly. And when I, I always say I'm first and foremost an artist, I'm first and foremost a masquerader, but uh, my masquerade experience is so different now compared to before I was involved in the carnival. It must be stressful. Yeah, I mean, it's part of it, eh? but what is not stressful in this world, you know? Yeah, Why not stressful yeah. in your life? Anyway you are, you are. So I would say, yeah, it really, it's, it's totally different now. Like I can't go into a party, an event, and anything and not look at it from a critical standpoint. Mm-hmm. It doesn't prevent me from enjoying it. Eh? Okay. But it really, really has changed the way that I perceive it. And I'll go so far as to say, oh my God, I love my friends and thank you to all of you. <laughs> like, it's changed the way that they experience Carnival too mm-hmm. because, uh, and I really love them for it. Uh, it's really a village, this Razia. I don't think I would have been able to do what I do without my village around me. And I have a really amazing group of friends who have been my friends since I started in Carnival. And we started playing mass together and their masquerade experience has changed as mine has. So little simple things like the time that we leave and to go and meet the band and where we go in first and which band we meet in first and understanding exhausted Val on Carnival Sunday and helping him make his costume. Otherwise he'll have nothing to wear on Monday morning, you know, like, oh and that's a running joke for us. Like, um, my friend, um, his apartment. Anyway, so we, we, we have a name. <laughs> We turn it into a mass camp and everybody just kind of gets there on the carnival weekend and there's food and there is just an energy that I look forward to. Like that is my carnival experience now. Yes, and yes. then we, um, we, we pray before the bands move. I don't know if everybody knows that. Um, but I, because of what happens on Sunday and Sunday night, whatever, I don't get to the band in time on Monday morning. I know I could be on time, but I'm always late. <laughs> so when they call and they tell me, hey, we ready to move the band. I say, okay, I'll go ahead. And I just call everybody in the apartment and we just hold hands and we say a prayer in the beginning, whatever, you know, pray for all the masquerades, pray for my road managers, pray for everybody to be safe on the road. And like, that is just part of my carnival tradition that, I mean, it may be stressful, but I wouldn't give it away for the world. Like, mm. this is what I am now, you know, yeah. it's what I love. It sounds real nice. It really, it really is real nice. I mean, we'd be drinking too, eh? That ties into something else I also wanted to know. So, like, I don't, um, when, we play, when I played in Hearts, and from times before, there's always a guy in the back with headphones on, with like four or five bodyguards. <laughs> I, in my head, that's what I envisioned you would be doing. Like, but I don't know what a person does or anything. So, but you actually I just go and play. No, so it is. So, okay, so that person would have most likely been, if not your road manager, one of the cluster managers, or somebody who is part of the entire road management team. So, mm-hmm. we have a very extensive road management team that does not, it spans across all the bands in the entire carnival. You can't mm-hmm. manage a band by itself. So, yeah, you may have seen people from other bands that were around the corner, or you may have seen somebody handling your band itself. Um, it's very important to me that. Uh, I hand over to this road management team at the beginning of the road. Because after having worked nonstop from July, well, not even July, because we start designing the band a year and a half in advance. But basically, let's say from July all the way down till Carnival Sunday night into Monday morning, on top of the fact that when masqueraders know you, so even though I am describing it as play and mass, when I'm in the band, I am conscious of the fact that anything happens around me, these masqueraders come in to you. Something as simple as not a problem, but when they see you, they want to come up with hug and kiss. And, you know, like they, they want to have that experience for you that you are emotionally plugged in mm-hmm. that every single person in this van. So me, it's very important for the road management to happen from an 
independent perspective okay. who is connected to me yes but they do their thing you know and i mean i have mad respect for them because a lot of the people who manage our bands they have been there way before i even entered carnival mm-hmm. actually one of my um my lost tribe road manager this year lindsay i know lindsay since i started in carnival and he retired this year he said he ain't coming back with us mm-hmm. So I tell him, I say, oh gosh, Lindsay, come play mass, you know, like come out and experience it. And he said, nah, he said, the relationship that I have had with Dean, with me, that took him from tribe into listen to Lost Tribe over all these years, you know, has been a relationship of friendship. Not because I need to be a road manager. Like many of them is wild. Like when you talk to them out of carnival, like they have like big, big walk, like, you know, like <laughs> they don't need to do this for the money or whatever, but they really love what they, they do. Love it, they, yeah. And we've started incorporating them in so many other events throughout the um, the year as well. So, like, if we have parades and whatever the case, maybe we bring them into those things. Um, they go across the melee, some of them, to run the, the parade across there, you know. So, it's nice now to, I think, um, have moved that relationship with the road management from Monday and Tuesday to different times throughout the entire year. That's cool. Uh, as Jaron said that, like, I never even noticed that I love the headphones. So that made me think of... You've never seen him? I've never... Well, as you real, I, I was real last up to him. Eh? <laughs> um, so I was now thinking, like, is there any other aspect of the business that people, like regular people like me, mm-hmm. would not, like, notice or think about? Well, it's like any other experience in a club or a party or a store. Like, you as the customer should never notice any of the, the work, the work in details, you know? You shouldn't see... I mean, there's certain things I can't avoid you seeing, right. but my intention is if ever there's a problem and there is always a problem, that you should never feel it. You should be, your, your masquerade experience starts from the time that you see the costumes and you go to get registered. Mm-hmm. Our masquerade experience, sorry, our, yes, masquerade experience for you starts way before that. So at any point along the line, apart from maybe calling the mask camp and being, oh, I made my payments and... I feel it go through, or can I come to the camp to see something else or whatever? So your personal problems that we can then help you with, there really shouldn't be anything that you... So I'm kind of happy that you say you didn't see them, but there are 10,000 <laughs> of them around you. I don't know how you didn't see that. Go on. Yeah. But, um, what do you want to say? Oh, yeah. As you said, um, challenges. What, what was the biggest challenge you ever faced one year? Say, oh on the road. Mm. Or the most chaotic thing. No. Um... I, it, it may be cliche to say, but I do think that the one of the biggest challenges I've ever faced um, is last year's carnival. Yeah. <laughs> the carnival was on fire. Um, COVID, and I don't even use the C word anymore, but the idea of the pandemic is something that, you know, I'm going to check you all back in five years when you're doing this podcast. I'm going to have the same conversation again. And it, is, it was something that we don't even know how it impacted us both on the good and the bad end you know um it happened it shut us down for two years we opened back and a lot of people i think thought even people from within the industry brilliant minds in the industry thought that all right okay cool i'll dust off my glue gun and we're gonna go again and it didn't happen that way mm-hmm. you know you met a world that was inherently different from a granular cellular level to what it was before you met new people you met people who were changed themselves you know they're their work ethic, their work perspective, their life perspective was very, very different. Mm-hmm. When you marry that to a masquerade crowd that was more hungry than ever in their entire lives for carnival, Starving. it is a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
I think now anybody who's interested in Carnival or in Carnival, they would have had the conversations about uh, production lines and timelines and where, who and who make what and blah, 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 whatever. I have no interest in even having those conversations anymore. But what I could tell you is that, you know, facing it uh, and being able to get to the road on Monday morning, because that was my goal. My goal was not anything. When I saw what was happening in the Carnival, and I don't mean within our own bands at all, I'm talking about the broad aspect of entertainment carnival from a global perspective, because this issue started since Miami from, you know, months before. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, if I make it to the road by carnival Monday morning, that is me there, like I happy, that is my achievement, you know? And when I say me, I mean my masqueraders, because I hit the road, my masqueraders, I hit the road, you know? Okay. Anybody who had an issue, that was the conversation I was having with them. I said, listen, I said, I can't control what has just happened, but I can control what is happening from now on. You talk to me, let me talk to you, and let me tell you what we're going with. I'll be honest with you, and we move from there. Um, so it was very difficult because I think it was a very um, logistics-based emotional problem, if that makes sense. And uh, the fact that we were able to come out of it is something that I hope that one day somebody documents. <laughs> and I don't mean from us alone, like from the artist perspective, from DJs, from the road management, from everything, you know. I hope that somebody looks at uh, people who love Carnival with every iota, every everything in their body, but they had to sell their business because they just wasn't making no money and they had bills to pay. Like, that's hard, you know. During the pandemic, um, that was some of the hardest things, the hardest conversations for me to have where I felt like, okay, I'm making no income, I have no work, I ain't creating nothing, I'm in these four walls and I'm losing my mind. But every single day I'm talking to producers and mass men who are going through the same thing and I feel responsible to them because last year they were producing for us or they're a designer or they're so-and-so. Something as simple as like, um, you remember they were like these government forms to ask for help mm-hmm. and people come into us for us to help sign up things and stuff like that. And even though technically we're in the same boat, I was like, the kind of conversations you have to have to be able to help somebody do that is insane. And then the kind of conversations you have a year and a half later when you start a prep for a carnival that doesn't exist because a lot of people forget that when we started preparing for this carnival of all carnivals, nobody told us a carnival was happening. We just say, let me shake it up, shake up yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we did that and it, um, in a nutshell, I think that was my one-off. I wouldn't say it was my biggest only, but it was definitely one of my biggest challenges. It made me think differently about the art form that I was a part of. It made me think differently about the industry I was a part of. And it made me think differently about um, sure things, you know? Yeah. So is it that you're... Because when did the announcement of Carnival actually happen? Because I don't remember. Was it? I don't think I remember either. Um, <laughs> I remember that we... Dean made this plan. He really is a... I mean... He's a jokey fella, but he really is an amazing man. Um, he came to us and we had this plan from before about doing pre-reg. But many of us, myself included, have a big issue with the word pre-reg. And I was like, I don't like it. I don't like how it sounds. I don't like what it suggests. And we will not be doing pre-reg. And so we decided that we were going to, with those who wanted to take the journey with us, see, all right, things looking like it's looking good. Our forecasting looks pretty good. And we are going to open like a subscription to Tribe Carnival as a group 
for Carnival 2024, 2023, right? Mm -hmm. And on Carnival Tuesday night, we prepared it for a while, we prepared um, the, a video and whatever the case, whatever the system requirements were, whatever the case, um, we had an affordable price that you would have been able to, you know, say, well, you know, I put in my money where my motor is, I go and play mass next year, like we do this thing. Mm -hmm. And we made a plan and, you know, we, we looked at all the legalities of it as well, like to say, okay, if there wasn't a carnival, then what's going to happen to this figure that somebody put? I don't want anybody to be like, I'm not giving them my money because I feel like my money jumping up. You know, I want you to know, which is something we have always had that if you play mass with us or you trust us with any experience, whether it be party, carnival, destination, whatever, you know that your, um, your value is valued and your value is secure. And... We launched it on Carnival Tuesday night. I wasn't even here. I traveled because I said I'll never have an opportunity for the rest of my life to travel for Carnival. So yeah. I went with my friend to Boca and I'm yeah. just there in Boca going to the mall. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden my phone is going mad and like, it's like riding a bike and like something in the back of my head was just like, back. Like back. I felt uh, it was adrenaline. I was on my phone messaging people, thinking, thinking, who wants to see costume? Who wants this? And I was like, okay, I feel very, very good about this. And at some juncture, within the next couple of weeks, I think it was when it was um, okay. announced. Yeah. So you had, so, well, you had enough time to start to uh, make things happen. Well, we had started before we um, before we even started the registration. As I said, it's like your car's been down for a while. You have to service it. So mm -hmm. we started designing from before, but the designing process it took really long. So even though I'm saying we started from before, it's was in time with, you know, like getting, even something like getting designers out of their rut. Like so many of my friends and my cohorts, they were so depressed. Like they were just like, I feel like if I ain't making no money and I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I open in a this and a that and hope, salon and hope and this and who, you know, it really was a, a different time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and for carnival, right? See, for carnival 2024. When do you all start preparing for that? Do you all prepare right after Carnival 2023 or does that process start from even before that? Starts before. So it is impossible for you to start and prepare for a carnival if you start after a carnival. Mm -hmm. Anybody who tells you that's what they're doing, they lie. But is stop. that because Tribe is so big? Like maybe a smaller band? That's because Tribe is so efficient. It is, okay. it is based on a number of different factors. So... If you have a very small band that you are producing based on 100% locally sourced materials, production is happening in Trinidad, sales is happening in Trinidad, all of that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe I could argue you can start after a carnival to be able to continue from there. But the majority of carnival, I wouldn't say the majority, sorry, all of carnival materials are sourced from outside. You know, yeah. we are not a material producing nation. Everything from cloth to glue gun to everything we have to bring in from somewhere. We have companies in Trinidad that bring some of those things in. So yeah. we buy from Samros, we buy from Tulip, we buy from okay. Jimmy Abood, you know, Miguel Moses, Ufis, all of these are our cohorts who have really been carrying the carnival on their back for years because they support all these small men in terms of accessibility, you know. Yeah. Um, but when you get to the size of a family of bands. Remember, tribe is six bands and Juve band and this and whatever like that. You need to start to prepare things from a long time before. From a creative standpoint as well, um, the, the turn that I have taken with Lost Tribe, sometimes it takes longer for my team to execute a, um, a theme. It takes more time because the themes are, require a lot more thought. They require a lot more development. They require a lot more research. 
Mm-hmm. So it might not be as literal as, you know, a fish is a fish and a bird is a bird, you know? Um, like, for example, last year, we did 2020 We and 2020 We coming out of the pandemic was me telling them here what not, because I had a whole lot of theme developed. Huh? I, um, I'm, a big, I'm a big mood board person. So in my house, all over the walls, I had paper stuck up like a crazy person. <laughs> and that's what I was doing during the pandemic. You know, I had time. So everywhere is yeah. a different theme or whatever. That's, I knew what we were doing. And then when we, when we got to the point that we were ready to do it, uh, I was like, creatively, this, this can't be it. I can't be coming out of the biggest thing to change the whole of mankind ever in, you know, in my lifetime and generations around me. And I come in to tell you about fish. That shit, you know, I can't do that. So 2020 was a moment for me to tell my designers, here yeah, what now, let us define the future. You tell me, let us do a manifestation, a self-actualization, or a letter to what the future is going to be, and each of you design what you want that to be. That was such a long process, but it really was such a beautiful process, you know? So a designer, Atiba, coming to tell me why he wants to call this costume true and why he feels truth and what aspect of truth he's looking to go through. There's so much more that we experience in that design process that really isn't communicated to the masquerader or the wider mm-hmm. public because it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of your personal process sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, it really was a very beautiful one and it took a long, 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 long time. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. Yeah. But, but also like if you, if you're starting before carnival, then obviously you'd have to like allocate people to be working on the next carnival while other people are working on this carnival. Or is it one of those things where it's like a sequential thing and then the, 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 steps that are already finished and people who are freed will go back and then start for the next one. Cause I already don't understand I the agree. carnival making process. Yeah. Very smart. Um, yes. How to balance it. So basically what we try to do is schedule from a while before. So in a nutshell, a year and a half before I would meet with my team with my prepared concept and presentation. Right. Um, Many times, because it's a year and a half before, there's a level of flexibility that I leave. But Mm -hmm. a level of flexibility that I have to kind of identify within a range, you know, to say, um, I can't even think of an example. I was going to say, like, with this year, for example, if I tell you, hey, Ollie, we're designing birds, (laughs) but the birds is local birds, but I'll check you back with the story. What I try to do is I try to give them something that inspires them, you know. It's very important because, you know, back in the day, I'm very honored that you mentioned Minchel, but Minchel comes from a heritage with himself, Barclay, all these people who there was a person and a creative mind that conceptualized and designed a banner. Mm-hmm. But the way that our carnival has evolved, you have a team of designers who design a band and a team of designers who have unique identities and life experiences and who creatively will present something that looks nothing like somebody else's thing. So how do I, as a creative director, make all these nine costumes or how much ever costumes speak the same language. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the, I mean, back, back, back when we had first started, it was one of my first challenges, you know? And I mean, I have my own ways and different ways of doing it, but one of the main ways is making sure that we design this band as a family. There's no conversation I have with one person that is different to another. We meet as a team and we talk about each other's costumes. We talk about each other's concepts. Um, every single design that you see comes from a storyline of like 10. So when they come to visit me, they may, they may come with uh, five designs or six designs. Sometimes you have somebody designing somebody else's concept uh, and then their own or whatever. They, and they themselves in the process kind of settle out, uh, are taking the headpiece from here and the color from here and the disc from here and they're going to mm-hmm. put it together and make this, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Well, you could run me through. Hmm. Can you run me through the whole process? That's the whole process, the whole year and a half. Yeah. From inception to the end. I always wanted to understand the business exactly. behind Carnival. Like every single step. If you could, if that's yeah. not like secret information. <laughs> I mean, what I could tell you is I could, I could talk to you about my process. But okay. if you talk to five mass men, five of them are going to describe five different things. You mm. know, like as I said before, is a, there's no rule of thumb in this thing. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. You could think about it, like if you left tribe and you're starting your own band from scratch and you had to build it like, mm-hmm. to make it happen. Like, I guess that would better paint a picture of what we're trying to trying to get the um, particular. So yeah, I don't know how to do it. we start a band. That's if I want to start a band, and he wants to help us. So. Well, what I would say is that uh, your band, not your band, your concept needs to come from some truth. Whether you open a band or you develop a theme or you decide you want to bring out a party, or you decide you want to bring out a particular experience in the carnival, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. You may be a concierge person or whatever. It needs to come from some truth and it needs to come from some need within you, you know? So like for me, I, when Bliss was happening, I was very, very, very happily part of this process, you know? I had a section, section was doing good. I had more than one section, you know? I was designing across the board and I was really, 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 really happy. Mm-hmm. I got in an accident, a car accident, and it was like two weeks before carnival. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to be cliche and say it was a life-changing experience, but I think looking back on it now, it definitely was. Where after the carnival was finished, I went and I met with him and I said, Dean, I say, I done with this. I feel like if I don't something with the carnival again. And he's like, well, why? And I say, well, I feel like my creative soul just hungry and I just, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know why, you know? But I feel like if there's, I feel like I reach where I'm going, you know? And it was doing well, I was making money, I was, you know, happy, I was, you know, popular, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what you would say, but it was good, you know? Top dog. And yeah. I was like, you know, there came a point and, you know, when I spoke about the relationship that we have, or the relationship that, we, that I have with other people in the mass camp, it led to conversations that I could only have with somebody who was a friend um, that led to, he was like, well, what do you want to do? Think about it. What do you want to look at? And we, we sat and we spoke and I went to and I dreamt of this thing that didn't have a name at the time, but I knew who my masquerader was and I knew who my bliss masquerader was, my tribe masquerader, my friend masquerader, my family masquerader. And I knew what people were asking me for. And I said, you know what? I feel like if this is the band. I want a band that nods to the past while recognizing the future. I ain't mm-hmm. designing for today, I ain't designing for yesterday, I design for tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. I want a band that my masqueraders, and I say that very boldly, my masqueraders, whether you play mass now, you don't play mass now, you should be able to see yourself in, you know? I want a band that pays respects to like the Trinidadian heritage of storytelling, which I felt very terribly was just being lost in the carnival, yeah, you know? know? And uh, I said, if I'm doing all that and we put it all there, whatever that, I said, see, he said, well, well what do you want to look like? You know, what mm-hmm. we design? And I say, I ain't know that part yet. <laughs> and I decided, you know, we decided, you know, let's take a couple of weeks and work on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope this is illustrating the stages yeah. there, right? So you have concept now and I say, well, I ain't know if nobody go like this. I ain't know if they go buy it. I had to design some costumes to see if they like it. And so I designed some costumes. And I call a quorum of uh, friends or people who I respected and say, 
comedy mass camp or something. I never told them what they were coming to. <laughs> and they came, we had some wine and stuff. And I told them, I said, well, I did a presentation. We conceptually looking to open a bar and go in the showroom and see three costumes, you know? And they were like, well, they didn't expect to see anything. And they walked in, they saw it. We got great responses. And when I got the responses that I did, I was able to kind of shape the prototype in and say, well, okay, design three more. You know, let me go. And then we decided how we were opening it and the rest is kind of history from there. But uh, I think in terms of process, uh, it needs to come from a truth. It needs to come from something that's authentic. Um, it needs to answer something in your industry or in your space, you know? Mm-hmm. I can't just decide, okay, well, you sell in red pants, I go and sell red pants too, you know? I mean, there's a, there's a truth to that in itself, you know, like uh, as a business, but I feel like if the successful businesses that I've seen have come from something that really recognize a unique standpoint and point of view. Mm-hmm. So that, that's lost, right, you're talking about, right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Right, yeah. So you said, like, with uh, some other bands, the Trinidadian heritage is, has been lost over time, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point, it had it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't ever worry that Lost Tribe might eventually evolve into that same, that same loop. Uh, what do you mean, like losing like, itself? Yeah, losing, losing the heritage because, you know, some, some girls just want to look hot. And, and with, your, with your designs for Lost Tribe, it's more, like, it's more about the culture and things. Traditional. Yeah. I'll, I wouldn't say, actually, you know what? I was going to say, I was going to say, I wouldn't say cultural, traditional. But when it comes to any carnival product, I think there's a level of truth that comes from the way that anybody will describe it, no matter what their voc- vocabulary or range really is, right? Mm-hmm. Now, with Lost Tribe and with all of our bands, I believe very strongly in the concept of if you build it, they will come, you know? So we spoke specifically about Lost Tribe, but we have six of them. And in the six of them, Tribe, Bliss, Lost Tribe, Hearts, Rogue, Pure, each of them were developed and designed for a specific clientele, you know? Yeah, and that clientele came from our existing clientele. So I just saying, you had Tribe at one point in time, and then we had people who were early Tribe people who felt like if, hey, I want to play mass with, you know, something a little bit different, something, whatever like that. And we had those conversations and that's where Bliss came from. And what a lot of people don't remember, may, may or may not remember, is the early Bliss days too, it was a very different band. Um, Caesar's Army and Candy Coated and stuff had sections in Bliss, you know, it was a space that was designed for crew registrations. And when we started there and we saw what was developing, we were like, oh, we need to shape the product more for this particular market of people who want this, they want that, they want the next, whatever. When Bliss started, it wasn't champagne flowing from the skies and, you know, diamonds on the trucks. It was, you know, it was a totally different product to what it is right now. And similarly, from the experience of listening to the masquerader and developing a product, listening to your customer and developing a product for them is where I think the others ideally came from. Yeah. Okay, so when I was younger, I used to go to like the Savannah with my parents and like extended family, and they used to go to like the Marsh Girl and like the, the the Battle of the Kings or Queens or those things that used to happen. Mm-hmm. But somewhere in between then and now, like that just stopped happening. And I feel like myself, people my age, people I know, have like almost no desire to go to those things. And I feel like that is part of the reason that people say like the traditional aspect of carnival is being lost, right? And I was wondering, 
like obviously that's something that you have noticed but i'm not too sure but why do you think that is well Good question. you know like carnival is like a balance between the experience of the masquerade and the experience of the spectator you know and only when it's perfect does it really you know result in this amazing euphoric equilibrium that is carnival um never thought of that as we, well. the experience of the masquerade has changed you know and when i say masquerade masquerade, masquerade means fetcore spectator anybody who part- participates you know our our carnival is a participating carnival mm-hmm. um when you have big parties going on on the weekend of carnival at the same time that maybe the competitions or other things are happening you know it's up to the spectator the patron to really choose where they're going to or what they're going to do with their time you know your currency mm-hmm. for carnival i always say is no longer your dollars and cents but it's your time as well yes. you know like uh, where am i spending my time carnival friday i go in the savannah or am i going to xyz party accordingly or on sunday um if i go to the marsh grand carnival sunday night uh, am i missing something else am i going to juvie what am i doing now on the flip side the promoters of all those events uh, like it's their responsibility i think to promote them to the best of their ability and to promote it in a way that it speaks to the clientele of today mm-hmm. and sometimes that isn't always the case when it comes to the traditional aspects mm-hmm. now recently i joined um the board of the ttcba and the reason i did that uh, you know in the conversation the conversations even leading up to where it is was because i wanted to play a part in exactly what you're talking about right now you know i don't have any criticism or disrespect to anybody who is organizing or doing things right now but i do feel that uh, there is an imbalance in terms of the language and communication in the range of events that are happening on particular nights and okay. there are people who go to the events and they are very happy with going to them but mm-hmm. they seek them out so for example at lost tribe one thing we try to do is um there's a name for it but i don't even remember right now it's like a crawl and they go to different events so they go to the pan crawl and they will go to the individual competition mm-hmm. and they will go to um stick fighting or whatever the case may be and you know the band organizes a maxi for our committee members and their friends so you could park in tongue and you go wherever you're going you have to worry about parking and those kinds of things and that's something that we do for our um committee community and family kind of like you know as a band to be like okay i want to encourage you to go to let me kind of help you you know um but at the same time i agree with you i do think that there's a decline in patronage and what i could tell you is from both my responsibility positions both as a band leader promoter and as a member of TGCBA, you know, contributing contributions to NCC in terms of how the carnival looks like, I hope that in the next couple of years I'm a part of it that, you know, I could help adjust that balance and bring it back more to, you know. You, you're willing to share any ideas you have on how we could bring it up to that level to compete with these, these types of other events that are going on that really join the crowd? Well, I wouldn't say it's sharing ideas as much as, you know, changing perspective. You know, like there is a very specific way that uh, some of these um, competitions or characters are presented. There are very specific uh, environments that that, hap- that, are, that that within which that happens. You know, um, but I always tell people that uh, 
before there was so come on there was something else and before there was that something else there was something else mm-hmm. and similarly too i don't feel that any of our structures are necessarily set in stone but we do need to pay attention to the heritage as to why is it the way that it is um and also pay attention to the actual heritage of the characters you know why are they why are they portrayed in the way that they are portrayed you know mm-hmm. if i take and this is this may be going on a, on a, on a segue but if i take a steel pan and i put it in the middle of a rock concert without a mic i might hear it you know and it's maybe right next to it and i don't know that's getting too deep into the you know yeah. but uh, similarly too you know if i am allowing a peregrinade to stand up and, and and make a speech i can't do that in the middle of a fet the yeah. context is different you know if i take mona lisa and i put her in the corner of the road by alberto street and arbiter avenue you might not recognize her as mona lisa you know but if i take her and i dress up with all the bells and whistles and i put her how much of a thick glass in front of her in the Louvre, all of a sudden I look at her and I'm like, oh my God, she's a goddess, you know? It's, it's, it's context, you know? Art is rele- relevant to the environment, its environment. It's inspired by its environment and it inspires its environment. <laughs> and it's interesting that you brought up spectator and masquerader having like a, not equal, but a significant part to play in the experience of Carnival because I've never thought about that until yeah. you just said it here because... Now that I think back on <laughs> earlier this year, like when we were playing, at least probably like the three quarters of St. James was empty. Mm-hmm. Tragrid was empty. Mokrapa Road was empty. Only like on the avenue, there were spectators. And you could tell how different it was on the avenue versus St. James and Mokrapa Road. But I just didn't think about it. But why is it that it's not like that anymore? Because before but it wasn't. What are you giving them to see? Like when yeah. you... When you stand and look at a band, and this is, this is, I preface by saying this is no criticism of bikini and being mass or old time mass or new mass or young mass or any mass altogether. Mm-hmm. When you stand in the stand and you look down at the presentation, what do you see? Do all the bands do presentations? Maybe not. Doing a presentation is very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't blame anybody for doing or not doing, you know, when we look at uh, the masqueraders we see a sea of heads, heads and shoulders like yeah, by the time yeah. you know 200 of us stand up next to each other <laughs> and you're wearing this and that whatever all you're seeing is here so if i'm not wearing a headpiece if i'm not wearing a so what am i looking at is what i see mm-hmm. what am i coming to town to see you know sure. so it, but it's a, it's a bigger perspective conversation like is it the responsibility of the band leaders when the band leaders being a businessman selling what's selling exactly you know can i vex for them for that or is it the responsibilities of the particular judging stations who the organizers of that your responsibilities to put on a show you know mm-hmm. now if i am to draw the parallel or make the comparison let's say like soca drum that we are involved in right we recognize that on many of our bands across soca drum are bikini and bead mass bands they are designed and their experience is designed for the experience of the masquerader it's party bands basically when you're crossing the stage I want to give the spectator, because I'm now involved in that aspect, uh, the experience of seeing something as a show. So I'm just saying, band A pass, I have a king and queen man come on stage. Band B pass, I have a Kess come and sing a song. Band C pass, Teja come and sing a song. Band C pass, uh, Midnight Robber come on stage and do something, whatever. And it's a constant show from morning to evening on Carnival Tuesday. And we bring, 
and spend money behind big soca artists and stuff who would be on the route for carnival but they have times that they're slotted in to come and perform because we feel like if you are taking your time to come into the stands to look at the carnival you need to look at the carnival and see something to see you know yeah. so there's that aspect on the flip side of it as well like you know when we when we look at the carnival the style of costume has evolved into something else i'm not saying that there isn't room for the wide gamut of all the different kinds of costumes. But as you were saying before too, you would always have something that may be more popular, equally as popular, differently popular to something right now. You, nobody could tell me that bikini and bead mask is more popular than anything else because you have bikini and bead mask bands are not selling, right? <laughs> so it means that if that was the most popular things that LO, as soon as somebody brings it out, it will sell out, you know? Right. But you see a change, you see an evolution, a constant evolution of the carnival like that. At the end of the day, we, uh, show people as Trinidadians anything that we do is always taken up a notch if we cook in is a little bit more salt a little bit more pepper a little bit more seasoning if we dress in is a little bit more something else like sometimes people use the word coskel coskel I use it here in a positive way you know it's always the addition of something a little bit extra in every single thing we do we tell in a story is not a girl went down the road, the girl went down the road yeah, and she sits and she went by the man. it's always a story about something if we are showmen, show people, and our nature is embedded in showmanship, there must be something to look at in our carnival. Mm -hmm. The responsibility of that lies in the wide range of people, from the organizers to the mass men, to the band leaders, to the everything together. I kind of realize in my life with different people I've met and talking to different people from different fields that there are a few people that have no issue with thinking outside the box. And then I find with the majority of people, and I put myself in that category, we're kind of trapped in the box, right? So there are some people that are just genuinely more creative than others. And I want to know what, what is the cause of that? And I think I boiled it down to three things. And you'll tell me if it, it could be more than that or if it's any of these three. Um, so is it something that parents subconsciously or consciously do in your raising of their child? Is it something that I could implement right now to make myself more creative, whether it be different activities I could do or something? And then the third one is, well, I'll cut out this part. I can't remember the third one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the third one is, oh yeah, is it just a natural born gift? Well, I, I, I do believe in there is something that comes from somewhere else, but I also believe in the structures of life. Like, no matter how creative you are, you create within structures, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I always kind of make the joke too that I said, you know, if you try to take the, the, the masquerade a mile, sometimes they wouldn't go, but if you take them inch by inch by inch by inch, they will, you know? So even mm -hmm. when you innovate and you innovate outside that box, you innovate outside that box within a box. Sometimes you don't even know you're in the box, you know? Yeah. But you just know, you know? I mean, the concept of the box does annoy me, like personally. Like yeah. I, I am, I suppose maybe, as you say, instinctively charged to jump out the box. Mm -hmm. So if I see something looking anyway, it's supposed to look like a I fell up, you know, I want to do something else. Um, yes, there are people like that. So that's where I think the instinct part comes from. But in terms of how you design outside this box, I think is based on your life experience, right? 
Like when you see, if the three of us sit down here and we put five materials in front of us and all of us design a costume or a t-shirt or a shirt or whatever like that together, we are going to design different things because we have had different life experiences. Creativity is like a filter, you know, it's like the original filter. Um, anything I look at, anything I see around me, I will take it from here, put it in here, put it through here, put it here, and then I'm going to be painting it out on this end. And sometimes I don't even understand how it's coming all that way, but it does, you know, like a lot of times too, in the um, design prototyping experience, we would create a mood board and draw something on paper. And from the time we start to operate with materials, that concept has changed into something else. Mm -hmm. Because what we thought about in black and white is different to what we think about in color, is different to what we think about in texture. And then is different to what we think about on the road. Like I always talk about like in the design experience, I design one thing on paper, that thing becomes something else in the photo shoot. It becomes something else in the lights of the band launch stage. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes something else when the masquerader wears it. Like they, when you see them on Carnival Tuesday, they are, are just as much a design in this, in this process or creative in this process as I am because our mass is kinetic, you know? I don't design a costume to stand up in the showroom with no fabric moving or no jingling, jingling or whatever. When they dance it, they dance it to be in. And the way that they move is inspired by the costume that they're wearing, is inspired by the character that they have decided to take on, is inspired by how they feel listening to the music at that particular point in time, you know? Why, and I don't know if this is the time to be saying it right now, we were talking about it before, but in our design process, we speak about that, you know, like, okay, if I give a masquerade a cape, a masquerade is going to spin. If I give a masquerade a jingles on her hip, she's going to give you a little shimmy shimmy something. If I give them jingles coming down here, they're going to give you boomerangs. Like, you know, when you design something, you design something to encourage movement, you know? Why is it that when somebody wears X costume and Y costume and they stand next to each other, they may move differently, you know? Wow. You know, so it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's really like, we don't design something that stands still on paper because our mass is a, it's a kinetic art form. You know, it was never designed to stand. Um, perfect example is so, I, I, I love Mocha Jumbies, right? So I've kind of taken a, a, a move in my career, interest in my career where I'm designing different types of Mocha Jumbies costumes right now. So I'm using Mocha Jumbie as a, a medium and speaking through it differently. Okay. So for the theme this year, I designed two um, big scarlet ibis, ibises, okay. I, them ibis, <laughs> them. Um, <laughs> but I designed it and I met with Ben Gaia, a good friend of mine. And I said, Ben, I want to make this for me because I have a way I want it to kind of look. So together we came together, we produced the prototype. And when, we, when I drew it, I drew like a million different sketches. We met with it. When... We first started making it, it moved in a particular way. When the guys wore it and they, they paraded in Adam Smith Square for our actual launch, it, it, it took on a particular light. And after I used it a couple of times, now, now I have it up in the mask. I'm like, I put it up yesterday. And I said, you know, I want to see what this thing looks like with me walking under it next to its legs every single day. I literally put it like next to my office door. It's up in the showroom. I said, I want masquerades to come and like they will go into a museum and see it. But the reality is... That is not the costume I designed. That is an aspect of it, like it's one part of it. But when you see it on the road, because it's going to be on the road for carnival, it's totally different, you know? It's almost like, you know, they talk about the carnival jumbie. The carnival jumbie is a real thing. It's come from somewhere else. So, so, so how do you like conceptualize that kinetic part of um, design? Do you like make a prototype and put it on somebody and see what they're doing? Or is it 
Well, probably don't have like simulation stuff, but I mean, like you, you have to like make it and put it and put it on somebody. Right? <laughs> we have paper and pencil. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, I don't know. You, you dream it into being, you know. Like I dream my costumes. Like when I think about how how the costume moves, I'm I'm also a big music person too. Like uh, I think about uh, what I hear in the background when when the costume moves, uh, which yeah, is different friends. is different to the costume moving in soccer. You know, so you think about it presented in a way you think about it soca in a way which is two aspects of the same person like we are not we are multi-dimensional beings you know similar to our creations like the way that i see like when we did taj the indian inspired theme a couple of years ago i presented the band on stage with indian music i was like i don't want to soca at all because i have nothing to do with this presentation and the point of this band launch is to present a theme Okay. When you're coming to the mass camp, I want you to hear soca blasting in your head because that is what that is for you. I want you to see yourself in the costume on the road and how you will move. Um, but to answer your question, sometimes you're surprised. Like a lot of this process is surprise, you know, like we may intend something, but somebody comes into the mass camp, they pick it up and when they move on the road, they move differently. Nice. Let me give you this example. So there's this guy, I don't remember his name, but the second year of Lost Tribe, um, he came on the road covered head to toe in what looked like ash and he covered and he wore like a, a grass skirt and i have this picture of him like jumping like the like the tribes right Send it to he, me now, go play it on i have to find it inside you so he, he's jumping and behind him is just police you're talking about like 25 police behind him tough, and this man is just jumping up. and i remember hard, seeing yeah. this thing and i was like this man not looking like nothing you know he's not from here this is not Trinidad. this is national geographic he doing his thing yeah. carnival monday we give you a theme and we give you a theme now that uh, is designed for you to design the band and it's because of this exact conversation we have and right now i realize that the way the masquerader moves and what they put into the costume and oh and also the way they wear the costume you know mm -hmm. like it's almost like styling like if i walk into you know fendi and i see three things in front of me i saw that on the runway it's never intended for me to wear it exactly like that like that's the way the designer presents it but it's intended to be pieces for you to take and style into something else like why am i wearing this shirt here with a khaki pants instead of a black pants you know why am i wearing it with these shoes it might be comfort but it might also be because uh, i'm going through this kind of unusual stage in my life right now <laughs> or you know and some masqueraders too like we give them a costume and they just remake the thing totally all together and they wear it differently you know you know Val, I, as i tell you like i'm not really a big mass man yeah and i wasn't really planning on playing carnival this year mm -hmm. But after this conversation, <laughs> no, it, I feel asked. like it gave me a different point of view <laughs> yeah, to I'm go on your road and look at it. And um, how about next question? You know what, too? Let me tell you. Yeah, tell me. Don't lose your question. I ain't gonna lose it. <laughs> During the pandemic, like we spoke a lot about that, right? The biggest thing, and I will never forget this for the rest of my life, right? When it started to get cold, so many of our masculine started reaching out to us, and it was heartbreaking. Like, I would cry every single day, and I even lying to you, big man thing. And they would just reach out and be like, I am going to work every single day. And normally when I go to my cold cubicle with my scarf on, with a little window somewhere up there, on my screen, I have my carnival costume. I have Soka listening to. I have um, my registration. I'm trying to get this ticket for whatever the case may be. And they say, we don't have that this year. And it was oh. heartbreaking. And it made me check my privilege to be a Trinidadian in Trinidad, like what we experience every day. It also reminded me 
and inform me more of what this mass does. Like mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, in a space outside our head, we hear people talking and they say like, oh, the carnival just give you something, it just do something else. During the pandemic, it showed me exactly what I was, you know. Mm-hmm. It enriched a part of my soul that I didn't know needed that. Mm-hmm. And when I first experienced mass on the road right after, even as a person having been involved in the preparation for that, uh, touching the road on that Monday was something for me. I see people mm. cry, like people just, you know, tearing up. And it's something that I, I don't, I, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I can experience, but I also don't think I can experience it because what you and you experience will always be something totally different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so my question was, um, it kind of off topic, but I wanted to ask it. Do you think AI will take your job? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> Why? I don't know, like I, so. That's a good question. I was just on a panel about this the other day. Yeah, I, um, no, that's what I asked you. Like, uh, I think AI is a, uh, just like anything else in what we call technology right now, it's a, a name of a tool, you know? And it's a tool that, uh, at least right now, is based heavily on inputs, you know? Um, right. I have seen, actually my WhatsApp picture right now is a dog wearing a carnival costume. Yeah. Um, and my friend put it in like, we were just joking and laughing and saying, you know, remember that video meme last year? I see dog in here, whatever. That's, yeah. that's why I fell for carnival last year. <laughs> And he put it in, he said, dog wearing carnival costume. And he put the carnival costume in. And I started paying attention more and more to the designs that people were designing. I'm not saying that uh, AI is uh, incapable of uh, outputting something that resembles stuff that we have done before, you know. But just what I spoke about, about our human experience, individual human experience being a filter for the world around us and for all stimuli around us. Like, I think that's a big, 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 you know, I think the, the, the human element, it is inextricably linked to carnival as we know it. And I wouldn't say Trinidad carnival alone. I would say like carnival, you know, mm-hmm. carnival comes from a, a history of something that when you wind on your road, I don't expect you to stand up and be thinking about, you know, necessarily history of it. But I a hundred percent know that you are experiencing a freedom that as a result of it. Right. So. But it may not be that AI may replace the human aspect because it would never know the feeling of being on carnival, right? No. Being playing carnival. But I think it may help like the efficiency of the carnival creation process. Like, if totally. You have, if you have a light, you just thing and it gives you, and then you could take that as inspiration and then build up on that for whatever yeah. you want to do after. Like but, I'm not the most techie person, but like on the event side of things, uh, we are using the whoever and the whoever in terms of the... ChatGPT? One of them. Um, but they have other ones, so I can't remember the names of right now, where just when I'm sitting down, like I draw a lot, you know? So mm-hmm. I would go on whiteboards, I would go on paper, I would go on mood boards, and I would draw, 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 draw. If I'm thinking about a blue jacket, I will draw 20 different versions of this blue jacket and stick it up next to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it helps me with that. You know, it can. I haven't used it in the carnival aspect of yet, personally, me. I'm sure that there are people out there who probably have, but on the event side of it, we have like, I wanted a, a white circle in the middle of a field the other day. We type in a white circle in the middle of a stadium and the white circle in the middle of the stadium turned up. And I was like, okay, <laughs> if I did this at any other point in time, I would have to draw it, sketch it, annotate it, send it to the graphic designer. The graphic designer will do it and he'll send it back to me. So yeah, so I, I think there, there are a lot of positives. Um, generally speaking in life, I think that uh, anything that you're doing comes with a level of caution, you yeah, know? Of 
But do I think it's going to take over everything I'm doing? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so if anybody wants to get involved in Carnival, um, how do they go about doing that? And is it something where like, no matter what your experience is, you kind of come in at the bottom, you just like work your way through and learn everything? Or could you like go in to be a specific person inside? Or like say, like, say I want to be a road manager. If I, want, if I want to be a road manager, how do I get in there and become a road manager? Well... Yes to, yes to both sides of the question, right? On one side, I think any, yes, you can enter through a particular aspect. So for example, if you want to be a road manager, I'm not going to have you come in being a designer, you yeah. know, but in the vein of road management, you're going to have to start from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that starting from somewhere is developing trust with your road team. It's like a clan, you know? Right. So you may have to work with them, maybe not even in road management. You may work with them in a planning stage or something else and then kind of move from there as to how you you, you could not gain their trust and kind of prove yourself, you know? Um, you don't just get your headphones just so, just so. But yeah, um, but I do think Carnival is still in its, um, you have to work from the ground up phase. It is not for... The faint of heart. I would never lie to anybody. Don't I don't believe in lying to people. I say, I believe in detail. Oh my God, follow your dreams and go and design. And mm-hmm. But you are going to face many, many moments in your time that you're going to feel like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun. It's not what I anticipated. It's not what Instagram makes it look like. It isn't what Facebook makes it look like, mm-hmm. depending on whatever you look at. It is something that uh, there are moments that is going to challenge every, every single thing in you. Because your challenges change every single day and it's based on human emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is the most chaotic thing that ever happened to you during Carnival? Whether you're playing or like in your capacity now. I'll give you an example. So, <laughs> so this year, I think what I heard was that Tribe um, in St. James, you had to turn around and make a U-turn and come back up the same street. So it was two trucks on either side going opposite direction. I don't know the reason why or whatever, but like things like that, because obviously something crazy had to happen for that to happen, because obviously we wouldn't do that on purpose. But well, you see, crazy and chaotic to me, like I may be numb to many of the things that people call crazy and chaotic because <laughs> also to if two bands are passing each other on the road, which is regular regular happening on the road, mm. it may not be the band that turned around, but you would always have trucks passing trucks, people passing people, you kind of move. Actually, it's kind of fun sometimes because you have DJs, big enough DJs, depending on who the DJs are, they're trying to outsound off the next DJ, you know, like, and then you have the flip where one band sometimes tends to get very quiet for the safety of the masqueraders and they say, hey, well, we're not playing no music, create a dance, we just want you to walk forward, keep on the right of the truck, keep on the left of the truck from there. Um, uh, I'm real sorry, like, I just, I, I, I numb to saying what is the most chaotic thing in the carnival, because carnival is chaos, like, every single part of it, you know? So, and I think I, I, I knock on wood hoping that I could really say I've experienced everything. I hope nothing else bad happens, but, um, it, you know, part of being somebody that works in this industry is you have to be able to be flexible. You have to be able to operate on the fly. If you are somebody who only operates in perfect scenarios, this is not it for you. It wouldn't work out. Yeah. That'd be like a pilot. Yeah. That'd be calm yeah all the time. And you remember your, your crowd and your the people who you shepherd, if you are a road manager, if you're a band leader, like they feed off of your energy. Yeah. And if you wild in yourself, 
they are going to feel that they're gonna you know i don't know if there's energy man the boat early but like for me i definitely am i tell my team i said the energy you put into this costume from the time you start sketching it into the process into making it into what we do in the photo shoot i speak about this at the beginning of our photo shoot meeting every single year is what people are going to feel from the costume and uh, i mean i've seen it i've experienced it and if people i mean i hope that they believe it you know that there's a there's a real transference of that energy throughout everything is energy yeah Right. Um, how did it feel to win Band of the Year this year? Oh my God! Um, <laughs> so, okay, this is our second time, right? Huh? The first time, I, but I was in tears. I won't lie It was really, it was it was hard. I um, I had the well, the backstory is I had lost my mom just before. So the preparation of the band, the design, and everything for me was really a tribute to her. You know, I believe in um. Um, like paying tribute to people and spaces in your way, like in your language, like in how you do it. So I say, well, you know, uh, I can't build a Taj Mahal, I can't build a, um, a monument in the middle of Port of Spain or whatever like that, but uh, I feel like uh, through my art, I could dedicate something. And we didn't lose her alone that year. We lost um, Uncle Mike, who is Monique, uh, Monique's dad, Dean's father-in-law, mm-hmm. who raised me since a starter. You know, I mean, obviously I call him uncle, you know, like it's that type of relationship. Yeah. So it was a really tough year. So I never anticipated winning. Um, it's not a focus of mine at all. I know that may sound weird because we are a competing band, mm-hmm. but my focus is on masculine happiness now. Mm-hmm. So when we heard about it uh, that year, um, I was really in a place because I felt like if uh, I dedicated it to them, yeah. um, I was also a wash of emotions on the Ash Wednesday. I didn't even know the results was coming out. I was in a car and I was in the back. I was on my phone on Ash Wednesday. I have a ritual with my friends. By the time we end up getting up, we was going by roti. We were sitting down, we were eating. Um, it's literally patraj roti and a diet coke, like that's my thing. And then I go back and sleep for days after, right? <laughs> and so I go and meet them to go to patraj. And literally I'm in the car and I'm hearing this conference, halfway in my phone, halfway listening. And then they started to talk about the band. So I asked the guy, I was like, yeah, what did the guy just say? He said, yeah, um, that is um, Lost Trevor and them win the carnival. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I bust out in tears in the man car. And then by the time I got to my friend's house, well, they, of course, had heard about it. And I have a very good friend, um, Siola, who's my PR as, as well. So by the time I got there and I was in tears, she started crying too. And then she's like, okay, but I have the letter and I have the this and I have this. this <laughs> yeah, yeah, so she kind of, you know, she kind of pulled me in. Um, but the reason I mentioned that, uh, in comparison to this year is that this year was uh, it was totally different like la- when we won that time um my mind was on who we had lost a hundred percent first yeah this time when we won um i felt like it was well one i was i don't know boy like i was i didn't expect anything about that at all because i felt like if my theme and everything that we had chosen um it didn't it didn't fit the perceived criteria of NCC judging. Let's put it that way, right? Okay. It was very, very abstract. It was never designed for competition. Mm-hmm. And I presented from my heart. I said, oh, yeah, we put in this on the road. I spoke to my designers from before. I said, don't go expecting nothing. We're putting this outside there, let me go. And similarly, I went, I bought sushi. I was in the mass camp and I'm meeting and I was eating. And then the media called me. They never even told us that there was a, they were announcing results. They never told us anything. Jesus. I don't know why they're like, man. Um, <laughs> 
and the media call and said, "Oh my God!" And this girl, um, Laura Dalrich, she was at Loop. She's 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 gone to a new position now. Um, but she called and she was like in tears on the phone and she's like, I knew it and I was whatever the case may be. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> By this point in time, after the carnival that was on fire, I only studying, okay, well, customer service issues, how I help them masqueraders, how we making it better. We were, we were literally in a meeting talking about carnival 2024, how we're gonna make it better and move from mm-hmm. there. And I ended up wasting half my sushi. Had <laughs> 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 to, you know, go and see about things. Um, but it was a very, very emotional experience. I feel like when we, when we achieve anything in the band, um, whether it be a second place, a first place, uh, or any of the other competitions that may happen, like in the Schema Carnival, you know, it is something that uh, kind of, you know, like when, somebody kinda, when you're recognized by your peers or your own people, it's different yeah. to being recognized like on the outside. So yeah. when my own people turn around and say like, hey, you're doing good. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I feel very, 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 very humbled by it. So, that's a great story. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. After a full year and a half of all our hard work and stress and cussing out people, well, boy, <laughs> to tell you. That must be so, I said, I'm eating this machine. We're talking about, okay, mm-hmm. all right, bra sizes, what we're doing, we change the next year, whatever the case, and the whole team. And I literally step out of the room on my phone and I come back inside, I look at him, I was like, oh, yeah, you've been banned the year. And the rest of them, like, they were nose deep in sushi too. So they were like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. You know what I do remember too? Um, just on the emotion side of it, like, I don't know how to describe Namta situation, but that is how I felt by the time I got to the road on Carnival. Like, mm-hmm. you can't shake me. You can try. But after every okay. two hundred season, I'm telling you, you can't shake me. And even my friends spoke about it. Like, they were like, oh, gosh, smile now. What happened to you? And I was like, enjoy yourself. I just here. I'm having a great time. Huh? But yeah. I, I was in a particular place. And when we got the news, I whipped into instinctively into solutions. Like, okay, people come by the mass camp. I had a gay bar. I had a pop two flag outside. <laughs> I had a message to one. So call Seoul and organize a press release. All of these things. So I started doing, which is what I was doing for the entire season. And we got to the front of the mass camp. And then I saw all these committee members who... I don't even know where they were. And they just turned up in front of the mass camp and they started jumping around and yeah, like the emotions started to of flow, course. you know, you're thinking about uh, a carnival that you thought uh, that I still think if carnival always is like the carnival last year, I'm not going to be carnival anymore. <laughs> can't yeah. Do yeah, it's too much. Next year will be better. For yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, guys, that brings us to the end of episode 11 of the Odyssey podcast. Today, we had the pleasure to sit down with Val. Creative director of Lost Tribe, director of Tribe, and somebody who is heavily involved in the in your carnival experience. Some of you, um, I must say that I, Christian, and I have learned a lot today from Val through his experiences in carnival and his perspective. Um, I hope that all of you who may be in the creative space or have any desire to go into carnival can learn from it and leverage his experience to make better decisions in your journey. Um, and Val, I'd just like to say thank you again for coming on. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, Val. Thank you. Know, you. We really, really appreciate it. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. And we hope to hear from you again. Thank you, thank you. Thank you all for having me. And I mean, thank people for watching. <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys, if you liked the episode, please like, subscribe, comment, share with your friends. You could find us at the Odyssey Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, we'll be posting clips soon. Um, you could also find Val at InstaVal on Instagram. You could check out Lost Tribe or Tribe Carnival, see what they're about. Hopefully, you'll, you guys play with them next year. Um, 
And yeah, I'd just like to say that we are very, very appreciative to all of you all for tuning into our episodes and supporting our content. It really means the real to us. And um, yeah, I hope to see you all again in the next episode. Thank you, guys. Take care. Yeah. Out.